Hello and welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. Um, my name is Dave Rowlands. I'm the editor at B2B Marketing and I'm joined today by Tony Riley, who's president at the MX Group, and Sam Crocker, who is managing partner at Bray Leno. Um, so Sam, Tony, thank you very much for joining me today. Before we like, really get into the, the heavy questions, could you please, you know, please just introduce yourself, tell me a little bit about the partnership between MX and Bray Leno. Yep, great. Yeah, absolutely. Sam, you want to go first? Well, yeah, I guess it's... Um... Uh, I suppose the starting point for our uh, partnership, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, thanks for inviting us in, sorry. Um, uh, the starting point is um, is we both work for two agencies that are completely independent uh, of one another. Um, so Brayleno uh, is based, uh, headquarters in the UK. We have offices in Europe. We have offices across Asia. Um, and, uh, you know, we regard ourselves as, as a as a top B2B agency, working with a number of clients in lots of different sectors as well. Tony, do you want to briefly introduce the MX Group? And then we'll talk about how, um, not related by any kind of holding company or anything, how we how we came into to being as a partnership. Yeah, the MX Group is uh, one of the um, largest B2B agencies in uh, North America. And B2B is all we do. We like to think that we're one of the best in the industry at it. Uh, enabling really seamless customer experiences across the B2B journey. And we came to meet Braylino um, through a global partnership where we really had a mutual interest in a client's business. Uh, and that client needed to uh, do work across North America, UK, and Asia. And what we found through that partnership was that two agencies, best of breed and B2B, that are bound by nothing more than a common interest in a client's business is pretty powerful. Um, and since that point in time, we've been working together in that approach uh, for global marketers that are looking to do really great global uh, work. And um, obviously, so, well, a, a lovely global relationship. And conveniently, we're here to talk about global messaging. Um, so mm -hmm. just getting straight to the point then, what do you think marketers are getting wrong? And, you know, what do you think a better path forwards might look like when it comes to global messaging? So, you know, to set the scene, what do you think the the typical um, messaging strategy looks like and you know how do they plan and execute their messaging on a global scale mm -hmm. you know i think we've gotten even a better sense of this over the last couple of weeks with uh the us ignite event and the uk ignite event just listening to some of the marketers at the round table but we also get a lot of exposure to this because not only do we work on global business together but sam and i have the opportunity to review a lot of global rfps and i think um you know one of the things that we see is First of all, there's all of this research that starts and the research is very in-depth in the B2B space, right? We go after the buying process and the buying groups and all of that is very, very valid, but um, we kind of tend to lose uh, sight of the forest um, you know, through the trees, if you will. And so what we lose is that universal human truth that can apply across countries because we get so much detail in that B2B space. Um, and so, you know, I think that one of the things that Sam and I try to coach around is that research is good and it's relevant at certain parts in uh, your marketing efforts. But really, what you want to start with is looking at that research and saying what's common across uh, those buying groups and those buying personas and then extract that human truth and use that really to create ideas that can translate uh, across cultures. And so um, I think that's area one. Um, and then also, you know, just this idea that once you have that, 
um, you don't need to look at one specific agency, which is often the agency that's closest to the headquarters. Um, Sam knows this very well, that then is responsible for executing that work and then sending it out to agencies across the globe uh, without involving other agencies in that process. Sam, makes sense to you or would you build on that? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, and you know, we've, we've experienced this firsthand. And as I said, quite often, whether it's at RFP stage, uh, quite often, you know, it will say, well, we need to, you know, we're looking for a global agency. Uh, you know, maybe they've heard about our partnership, whatever, which is great. Um, but you, usually there's a, but we've already got the idea and that's set. So we're really looking for how we can kind of roll that out and execute it globally. And so it feels that sometimes there's a lot of stuff that's set in stone and, you know, you don't want to kind of dial back too far, but, but to build on Tony's point, usually, and it's, it's completely understandable, you know, what makes a client successful in their kind of HQ, although normally, you know, their country of origin has made them successful. And so there's the assumption that like, well, well then let's just roll that out across the world. And actually, you know, different cultures, different channels, a plethora of different things, the, the level of brand maturity in different countries. So, you know, it might be quite well-recognized brand in one country, might be completely new in another. You do have to take into account all those things. And that's when you find that actually the the thing that you're rolling out may not resonate. Um, and, and it's a very familiar, but also I would say, Tony and I are very keen to say, we're not critical of, of clients. It's a tough task. And we completely understand why you know, it's, you, you kind of find yourself there. Why wouldn't you assume what's made you successful will continue to make you successful elsewhere? I guess that there's a lot within nuance, though, and, and to Tony's point around finding a human truth and finding out, well, is there a way, though, that you can roll it out that makes it just land or work a bit harder in different regions? So, Sam, this is going to sound critical, but how many RFPs have we seen that are going to try to solve this with a toolkit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's normally what the RFP is about though isn't it is like well, we've got the idea we're looking for an agency to develop all of the toolkits and assets and that sort of stuff um which is fine and, and actually I'll be fair to say do you think Tony we, we're not kind of change for change's sake there are occasions where we'll look at stuff and say yeah that, that's great and we'll test it and we'll talk about it and we we'll say actually there is no need so it's not you don't always have to change it for the sake of it but I guess there is that check-in to say well how do we know that this idea and this platform of messaging will work well in Asia or work well in, you know, Russia or wherever it is in the world. So what, obviously you've touched on the, upon the idea of like the human truth, which is a, but like you say, kind of a better place to start. But what issues do you think that the, the common approach that you often see cause, you know, does it affect engagement with the customer, relationships with international partners, um, maybe the marketing team's ability to demonstrate ROI? Or is there something else, or maybe, or maybe it's all of those things? What do you think? I think I think you're right, David. There's a lot in there, and I think a lot of it touches on all those. But I think what we start to see is, you know, because we work together in different parts of the world, we're generally working um, with corporate or global or brand marketing, and we're also working with regional marketing. And when the approach is, we've got an idea over here, we've created a campaign, and then here's your toolkit. We see regional marketers that struggle in order to adapt that to make it work in the regions that they're in. We see the agencies that are serving those regions struggle in order to make that work work for their regional marketers. Um, and then we see just really a lack of relevance that comes through the campaigns as a result. Now, you know, again, this is varying degrees of 
uh, of relevance and um, and success. You can still be successful in that way, but I think everybody is looking to how can I be more successful? How can I take it to the next level? So again, not saying that that doesn't work, um, but I don't think it works as well as it could. And so I think that's really the engagement amongst your regional marketing teams, your agencies, and then that lack of engagement leading to an inability to really make that work relevant in the markets that it's in. Mm. Yeah. So it's not a case of, you know, the current approach is all wrong. It's a complete mess. Um, It's just a case about improving it and making sure that marketers are really kind of carrying out the global messaging in a way that is most effective and it's the best use of their time, really. Um, So with that in mind, Mm. then, you know, what do you think a better strategy to global messaging looks like? Well, one, if I I take a a start of that, Tony, um, and actually one of the comments, sorry, that kept coming up at um, uh, at B2B Ignite, which was great to hear, was actually a recognition that the B2C world, you know, does does this kind of human truths a, a bit better, perhaps, than the B2C world. And that wasn't a comment we made, but we were, I, I suppose, you know, pleased to see it come up quite a lot. And that came up in, an, you know, that same comment kept coming up in different places. Um, because in terms of, you know, kind of a, a better way, if you like, you find that B two B marketing gets can get very focused on, um, you know, reasons to believe and technical detail and all those, you know, kind of buying points, which are important, not dismissing them, but quite often they'll miss that. Well, what's the emotional trigger though? Why why do people buy and why are they going to buy from one business o- over another? And the research is pretty black and white on the power of brand um, or the role of brand, I should say, you know, in influencing those decisions. And I think part of the answer, David, is, is, is a good point. And it's good that the it feels like in our industry is, is recognizing this is to say, if you can layer on those more emotive, uh, you know, and, and stronger brand cues, I think that's probably the component that is maybe missing in B2B marketing and there is some stuff to learn and it was good to see that come up and I I think there is a let's be honest as soon as you kind of say brand and emotive people start thinking it gets a bit fluffy um, which is understandable and and B2B marketing is always seen as a bit more kind of hard-nosed and a bit more analytical and and that sort of stuff but actually I think that the research and the data on the role and the power of brand in influencing buying decisions is actually pretty inequivocal so that's I think the build um, you know that that we or the opportunity i suppose that we see um tony i don't know if you had any any thoughts or agree with that so i think i think the natural then extension of that is is that how do you get to it right when you're working globally how do you get to that type of work um and, and the way that we talk about it is we think that you know first of all you have to start by being intentional with your agency ecosystem i, I do think that a lot of marketers leave their ecosystem just a chance um, it is what it is. It develops organically based on need within the regions that they're operating. Uh, and really what you need to do is take a step back and say, who are the agencies we have at the table? What are the different skill sets that we're going to need in order to implement this globally? And then not only define that for yourself, but be intentional and clear with those agencies to actually say, this is the role that we need you to play. We need you to help form the idea. We need you to be able to re- execute it in a regional market. We need you to be able to re- be responsible for replicating that uh, in our digital experience and so on and so forth. And then if you have that ecosystem in place, what you can then do is once you have that uh, that universal human truth that we keep coming back to um, identified, 
Then at that point, not after you've done the work, you bring those agencies together at that point in time and you evaluate that truth. You get them to understand that truth. You possibly get them to work together on what the manifestation of that is. What's the concept that brings that to life at a minimum you get those agencies together at the table to review at the conceptual stage to look for whether or not that 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 idea can be adapted in the markets that it needs to go in. And I think that is the biggest um, area of, of uh, emphasis from Sam and I is we often see that that point, the evaluation of the work is done way downstream after a toolkit's been created, it's being rolled out. And what we're recommending is get way upstream. I learned this firsthand from Braylino. They they really set a great example for us where we, they brought us to the table in early sketch phase and said, hey, please let us know like what will work in North America? What, what, what won't? What do we need to double down on? What should we lean back on? Uh, and that led to some great work together. And so I really do think that's how then you can get to um, that emotionally reson uh, a resonant work is by really getting upstream, but knowing who the agencies are that you have at the table and getting that talent to evaluate those ideas early on. Yeah. And I, I guess um, back to Sam's point, talking about the, the human truth as, as we call it again, you know, you might have that one idea, um, you know, your one message and that might resonate with people really well in say the UK, but you know, by the time that's got to Brazil or, or to China or wherever it's got to, the message gets a little bit distorted. The The point you were trying to make has got lost along the way. And all in all, it's been maybe not a complete failure, but certainly not as, as good as it could be. Is that fair, do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I think yeah. then what happens is that that for all the right reasons, marketers and agencies try to adapt it to make it work for what you just described. Um but then, it, but then those adaptations lead to inconsistency. And so then what you were trying to do and roll out a me global message in a global campaign for all the right reasons has started to fall apart or started to uh, deteriorate. And if, I think there's a couple of good examples, David, if you don't mind, we, we've got uh, one or two that I think are decent examples that are easy gets. So Sam, you know, you did work on uh, with one of our clients that I thought was a good example of how we've looked past those kind of features and benefits to find that truth that I thought was a pretty good indication of, but it yeah. seems bigger than it is, but it's pretty easy once you understand the example. It's really simple, isn't it? So, so basically in, in different countries all around the world, industrial client, um, there are different, I suppose, reasons to buy or probably reasons not to buy from different vendors in, in their, in their place. And it's probably not right to, to mention the, the client name, I don't think, but either way, you know, um, reliability of the uh, of supply you know that the product is going to turn up on time is is not imp important in some parts of the world such as the us in other parts of the world it's very important actually you know those sorts of factors and so those reasons to buy you know versus technical details and that sort of stuff they will vary from region to region but the underlying human truth of the work we do is that no matter what market you're in the people specifying and selecting and buying the product fundamentally want to look good in their jobs. They want to look masters of their domain. Uh, you know, they know what they're doing and perhaps they haven't made an obvious choice, but they've made a brilliant choice. And that's a great example of, well, there's lots of different ways you can express that in different ways around the world that will fit different cultures. But quite often we will assess the work by that measure and say, you know, so how is this making someone look good in their job, for example? You know, so that would be a good example. You know, you can dial up those reasons to buy up and down, but that's the human truth that we like to see come through 
all across our work uh, globally. You know, one might think like, well, that could be applied to anybody in that category. But the reason why that worked in that category is because we were working with the Challenger brand in that category. And so when you think and you understand specifically the buying behavior and the perceptions of a Challenger brand in a well-established category, it makes sense that what we're talking about is that you have the opportunity to actually look really good at your job by bringing mm -hmm. something new to the table that wasn't there before. And so uh, I, I just think that that's kind of the, the where the magic um, happens. And sorry, but I didn't mean to cut you off, David. No, 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 not at all. I think, you know, it's, it's a really interesting point you make. I mean, ultimately, everyone wants to look good, right? So, mm. you know, they should listen, I think, is the, the message there. <laughs> yeah. um, so this alternative approach that you've, you've mentioned then, how do you think that affects, um, you know, customer or prospect engagement or, you know, relationships, international partners and ROI? I, I was just going to say, I think there's, you know, data that, that demonstrates that uh, work that emotionally resonates uh, breaks through and, de and delivers greater engagement and delivers greater ROI. Um, what I would say is that it also, if, if the process is followed, if you get the right checkpoints in, in place, it also creates a more efficient process because I think what we often see or where we're brought in is where a regional marketer or a global marketing manager or a brand manager is saying, I've got this problem that exists. We've been working on these programs and we're still seeing this inconsistency out in the world. Well, that means that a lot of work has been done. There's been a lot of effort. There's been a lot of adaptation that's then taken place. That adaptation has then led to inconsistency. Inconsistency has been uncovered through some sort of analysis. And, and so if you think about all that work and then you have to go back and you want to fix the problem, you almost have to start from scratch on it. And so our point of view is not only does it break through and, and create more uh, engaging work, but it also prevents a lot of rework um, in the process and probably makes a, a lot of a much more easy uh, to implement effort for regional marketers, global marketers, and the agencies that serve both. And so um, I think that's my, my point of view on it. Sam, I know that you've experienced it from different angles as well. And so what do you think about the ROI or the result that comes from having a better, um, you know, a, a more a truth to work off of? I think... Yeah, I think on the, the ROI, and then this is the, um, I suppose the challenge that all of our clients have, isn't it? Is that they're they're tasked with build, you know, building long term brand value, at the same time as delivering, you know, in year quarter to quarter results, um, and that that's always going to be a struggle. You know, those two things effectively trying to do those two things together, um, and I think that, you know done well they don't have to be exclusive and i think that's this is a thing where quite often they're seen as being trade-offs it's like let's do something you know get what you're saying about brand but we just need to make sure we deliver the next quarter's numbers up which we completely understand um and i think therefore it's but it's i think that's the thing that we we try and educate our clients on isn't it is to say well those two things don't have to be exclusive you can invest in you know in brand um, and still deliver those those kind of immediate uh, benefits effectively. I think that that would be one thing. Um, I think there's also another thing around measurability. You know, sometimes that that kind of brand value, long term brand value, is slightly harder uh, to measure, and therefore it gets uh, you know undervalued as a result of that. Uh, effectively, you know, it's not as quantifiable immediately as is kind of qualified leads and that sort of stuff as well. So I think it's the measurement aspect is actually an important. Uh, 
component because there's no doubt that the clients that do invest in in brand and global brand uh, programs it pays dividends it's just over a slightly longer period uh, and manifests itself in probably different ways yeah you know, agencies were brought up at, um, at some point in there and you know it's hard to deliver a global message sometimes you know without the use of agencies all across the world and in a recent roundtable that um, B2B Marketing ran, obviously, with you guys, one attendee um, sort of mentioned that, you know, just getting these agencies to communicate with, with one another in the first place to align a global message, <laughs> you know, can be an absolute nightmare. You know, you've got one mm. agency handing you marketing in the US, another in Europe, another in South America, another in Asia. And, you know, they've all got their own ideas and no one's really on the same page. So how have you guys at the MX Group and Bray Leno managed your communications? Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that what we've created is, I, I guess, um, it, I think it is somewhat special just because uh, of the partnership that we have. And so uh, I, I think it's a fair point to make. It's not like every agency is going to work together as as seamlessly as we do. But, you know, if there's anything that people can learn from how we put it in place, I'd say that we, we started off by with a, the motto that we were going to approach everything without ego. Um, and, and I think that was a huge um, first step for us is just saying that, we would we would go for what was better for our clients and approach things with the best interests of our clients above any of the best interests from our individual agencies. That allowed us to then have a different level of conversation and, and really having um, you know leadership at the table between Sam and I between the two agencies that could model that and say, well, it's not about whose campaign wins and it's not about. Uh, who gets that body of work. It's really about what's best for the agency, who's best suited to do that, where can we benefit. Um, just getting that sort of culture set up was important. So that, I think that was area one. Um, knowing that you need to set that up, you really have to be, coming back to one of my earlier points, you have to be intentional at who you have at the table around how you communicate that and who you communicate that with. Uh, and so being clear in roles and responsibilities, it's easy for MX and Bray to work together in that way because we clarify and help clarify with our, our um, clients what role we're going to be playing. And that's not just about area of the world. Uh, while Sam and his team do handle UK and Asia and we handle North America, we also look at each other for specific capabilities. Uh, Sam and the team at Braylino have an amazing event capability. They have really strong media capabilities that we leverage globally. We have really strong demand capabilities, um, digital marketing, MarTech capabilities that we leverage uh, even uh, for some of their work. Um, and so I say that like roles and responsibilities definition is key. And then the last piece that I would hit on uh, is really about how you then create interagency communication and communication back with the client. I think Sam, you, you know, you really helped usher in a lot of that, putting in the right tools and communication channels between us and then also creating a, a cadence of communication with the clients. So I'll let you kind of mm. step in there and build on that. I think, yeah, I think the, the important bit there, isn't it, is that the agencies uh, need to have license, I suppose, to communicate themselves without the client being present. Uh, and I'm sure all clients would like that, but sometimes I'm sure they feel they probably have to referee between, you know, kind of moderate Absolutely. when there's different agencies at play. Whereas actually, I think the thing we do well, isn't it, is Tony, is is that we we take that pain away, and uh, you know we will have, uh, you know, a weekly stand up. It sounds simple things between 
our agencies so we are aware of all of the different work going through simple things like Trello board so that anyone in Tony's team can see exactly what we're doing in the rest of the world and I think where the client sees real value in that is that you know we will say autonomously oh we need to produce this piece of work or this asset but that's okay because we've seen that they've done something really similar over there and we can use and leverage that without them having to coordinate and kind of centralize assets, try and make sure all the agencies are aware and sharing it. So there's a lot of efficiencies to be gained there, basically about, you know, those kind of, as I said, it doesn't sound like uh, particularly complex things, but it, you know, rocket science, but it's, we talk every, every week as a team, all the work streams going through, uh, we make sure we have a shared view, a shared dashboard, and then we'll have quarterly formal reviews joint with the client. <coughs> And we'll have a dashboard about, you know, areas of our service that are going well, areas that we need to improve, um, improve on, excuse me. And we'll do that with every client. Um, you know, we ensure we have those those kind of steps in place um, effectively. But one other point that I wanted to, to touch on is, is that we, we've been credited with a number of the clients that we work on within our partnership is that clients feel that they have this trade-off between I can either work with local b2b specialist agencies in different regions and i get all of the kind of perceived specialism and local knowledge and that's great but it comes as an overhead to me because i've then got to manage them or i go to a larger global business they'll have all the local offices set up the management of it easier but i'm not quite sold that they're actually all as good as you know, the offices aren't all as good as one another and that you know what i mean like the head office again normally takes the kind of or the office closest to the client's business normally takes the leadership of the relationship and they're kind of wondering whether all of the global offices are bought into it at quite the same level. I suppose that's the part of the value of our partnership that we're trying to play in is to say through our partnership and and, and others, you know, as I said, are kind of welcome into that partnership. It's not closed. We will bring in other agencies where it needs to, but it's to say that that doesn't need to be a, um, a payoff, I guess, that the client needs to decide between those two models. I'd say yeah. this all sounds, you know, very, very promising. Um, but, you know, do you have any clear sort of case studies that can really demonstrate success with this approach? I mean, it'd be great to see an example of how it works in practice, um, as well as, you know, some of the results that it can deliver. I mean, if, don't imagine you've got any to hand, but if you do, that'd be incredible. <laughs> it, maybe mm. it's a case that, you know, this is something where B2B can actually learn something from the B2C world. Yeah, I mean, well, so I think there's a couple of, of different ways to demonstrate case studies, you know. Um, well, so, David, I'll build on the first one that you said, like kind of learning from the B2C world. Uh, I, I've used this in the Ignite conferences because a lot of the um, folks at the U.S. event will have an easy get from it. But uh, GMC, which is a, you know, um, General Motors company, large car manufacturer, they they understood this long ago. And so they stepped back and they looked at, a very, very crowded space, a lot of Me Too advertising. And they said, what is the human truth across all of the people that, that we're selling vehicles to? And one of the things that they looked at was that in our lives, whether it's personal or professional, we as people want to have the best tools for our job. It makes us feel more confident in what we're doing, whether that's out, you know, uh, skiing, uh, playing football, or, you know, actually doing our work, you know, that's how um, that we feel like we're more empowered to do great work. And so what they did was they stepped back and they looked at that truth and they said, well, who does have the best of the best? And that's professionals. And then that led them into the idea of professional grade. That has been the mark of their advertising for over a decade. And I, I would advertise, I would argue it's one of the more successful campaigns out there 
because the idea of professional grade is so easily translated to different cultures because then each region can look at that and they can say, well, what is, what is something that is, that remarks professional grade in the region that I'm in? And then how do I bring that together with this brand? Uh, and so work-wise, I would say, you know, that's a great case study in how it can work and where we can learn from the B2C world. Um, you know, if you're looking for more like tangibility around, is this a real problem? Uh, and, and, you know, is there a real desire to solve it? You know, I think the amount of global marketers are out there that are attending B2B Ignite, uh, that are issuing RFPs, that are looking for global marketing support and looking to solve this issue. That to me is the most tangible proof of the need for a quote unquote better way. Um, because I think if there was, if everybody was satisfied with the way that it was going, um, you know, we'd see far less attendance at these types of events. We'd see far less uh, uh, RFPs that are going out for people in order to help, um, you know, provide a better uh, global marketing structure. And so I think those are two ways to look at the cases that exist out in the world. I don't know, Sam, if you have any additional you throw in the hopper. Um yeah, the the only thing I'd add to that, Tony, I completely agree with all of that. Is is that there's a it's sometimes useful, I think, for clients, and we certainly try and encourage this, is to define the word kind of compliance. And I don't want to be too theoretical in this, but for some clients, isn't it, is that uh, uniformity across the world is is what success looks like. And actually, if you're certainly if you're launching a brand, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, for things to look and sound very similar across the world, and that uniformity down to design uh, you know of specific assets and hence that takes you down the kind of the more of the toolkit type of uh, uh, route that is what success looks like whereas other clients will be very happy to say that you know a client a compliance for us is that as long as all markets are aligning to the same human truth we're actually okay that stuff may not look exactly the same in all different markets and so i think it's wherever you choose to draw that line and that's not a right or wrong uh you know it will differ for every single client but i think being clear on it is what helps produce better, more effective work um, eff effectively. Sure. Um, and one thing I did want to bring up, and it couldn't be a podcast or a webinar um, in 2021 without mentioning COVID-19. Um, so I've tried to, I've tried to not bring it up yet, but it's <laughs> coming up now. So. <laughs> Right. Um, so, I mean, how do you think that the global messaging arena, if you like, has sort of changed over the course of the pandemic? I mean, obviously, digital transformation has been the name of the game and everyone has been talking about that. But do you think that's affected global messaging strategies as well, you know, maybe negatively? It's a good question. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I think that um, my view on that would be then they're possibly not exclusive. I think what the pandemic has brought about is that an accelerated shift, things like e-commerce in B2B, as you say, digital transformation. And I think actually those problems now, uh, and again, borrowing from the, the B2C world, I think what many of our B2B clients uh, and prospects that we talk to are saying all of a sudden the sort of the yardstick by which we're measured by uh, are the e-commerce experiences delivered by a lot of B2C companies. So, you know, it's like, well, this is a this is a pain to buy from this company. I want it to be as easy as Amazon. You know, it doesn't really change whether you're doing a B2C or a B2B purchase. And I think, therefore, the effort, and probably rightly so, accelerated by the pandemic, is we've got so much to do on that that maybe 
investment in brand and investment in alignment of global messaging is kind of i think has certainly fallen down the agenda um a little bit over the past 12 months it's not necessarily criticism i guess it's just an, an observation um and i said maybe maybe that's not necessarily wrong you know those uh, to your point david areas like digital transformation uh you know and e-commerce there is lots of room for improvement in the b2b world i, I would agree with that if i if i could build on that i think that i agree with what you've said I think that the digital transformation um, and the acceleration of that has led to increasingly blurred lines between regions, between countries. And so I would argue, what are you doing today that's not global, right? And so like everything is basically accessible globally. Um, and so I, I think it's actually accelerated. The acceleration of digital transformation has accelerated the need for a better global messaging approach. If, if That would be my argument. Um, and then I would say that I think that through the pandemic, what we've proven is that we can do it uh, in isolation. Uh, but I think that because of that, our natural tendency right now is probably to do it in isolation. And again, what we're proposing is make sure that you're, you're purposeful and intentional of, of breaking from that at the appropriate points in time to bring in the right people, whether remote or in person, it doesn't matter. It's the idea that you have to create those points in time to really get that feedback and that input at the conceptual stage uh, so that you get the right work. And so that's where I think that, you know, um, the pandemic's not only accelerated digital transformation, that acceleration has accelerated the need for global messaging and the need to remind each other that we have to break in at certain points in time to get collaboration uh, throughout the process. Okay, well, well thank you very much. And I, I think we've probably just got time for one more question today. Um, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. So I guess it's quite a broad one, but I, you know, I think it's a, a valid question still. Obviously, you've talked about the current status quo when it comes to global messaging and, and the issues there. And then you've obviously presented a kind of a better path forwards as well. But what do you see as the, the end goal for marketers when it comes to global messaging? And maybe just as importantly, how can they start taking their first steps to actually get there? Yeah, I guess I'll kick off by saying I think the end goal is just really relevant work. Um, you know, we, we talk about a universal human truth, but that's that's the means to an end of great relevant work in the markets that it's being consumed. Um, and so, you know, I think that I think the first step is just making sure that you are looking at your research in order to find a truth that can translate. That would be the the first step, and then. If, whether you adjust your process, whether you work it through one agency or or ten, uh, I think your chances of having something that actually works is probably heightened um, by just having that as the first stepping stone. Mm. Sam, what are your um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think? I, I think the um, I think the end goal, or certainly for the B two B marketing uh, industry to look at, is to uh, maybe have the ambition to build. This is going to sound a bit grandiose, but we do believe it. To build B two B brands that are as strong as some of those consumer brands, you know, the power of the brand is is known and it's famous. It, specifically, though, within the B two B two B sphere, uh, effectively, and, and I, you know, I really think that a lot of the campaigns and global messaging and work that we can do around human truths can really build towards that. You know, and and for the B two B marketing uh, industry to see that that. Uh, you know that there is value a lot of value in brand uh, and had the influence that that has on 
sales impacts, you know, and conversion rates and all of those hard metrics that we deal with day to day um, and, and recognizing the role of that. And I, I do think, uh, reasons to be positive, I do definitely think that we are headed in that in that direction. You know, we've talked quite a lot about brand and in B2B uh, over a few years, actually, at Braylano, and uh, more clients are talking to us about it. We're getting more inquiries, RFPs along those lines, uh, and I think it's a it's a good end goal to have in to have in mind. Really, is is to build strong, powerful, recognisable B two B brands. I think, um, yeah, the, the the core message of today from what I'm hearing is start with the human truth, and you can't really go too far wrong as long as you start from that point. Um, so if you do work for a translation agency, now is the time to start quaking your boots. <laughs> But um, <laughs> hopefully it'll be for the benefit of everyone else. Um, Tony, Sam, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, if people want to find out more about MX and Bray, um, where, where, can they, where can they head to? Just go to either of our websites either and we'll work website, together yeah. seamlessly enough to where we can get a hold of each other. Brilliant. Okay, guys, well, thank you very much. And thank you to our audience as well. Um, always you know great to have you here and thank you for listening so um hopefully we'll see you at the next one if you want to listen to any more b2b marketing podcasts very easy just go to www.b2bmarketing.net slash podcasts thank you and we'll see you again soon bye-bye thank you david thank you david thanks